Um, it says from obligation to privilege week 16, but it's actually week 17. I thought I had done a new sheet, but maybe I just, um, uh, you know, edited the previous one. Okay, so what the Gemara teaches us is that if someone who recites the Psalm of David three times every day, they are assured of a place in the world to come. We also know that Ashrei is considered to be the main element of Psuke de Zimra, right? We talk about the Psuke de Zimra that begin with the Barach She'amar, the opening prayer, and then we go through all of these different prayers in between until we do our closing blessing of Yishtabach, which we'll get up to in a couple of weeks. But in between, the primary thing that is the Psuke de Zimra, and the Rambam teaches that when we say Psuke de Zimra, we are really referring to Ashrei, you know, and these, and the follow-up five Psalms, with which we finish up the, the uh, actual, the Psalms themselves, we'll finish up in our morning prayers, okay? So let's look at what Ashrei is and try to figure out why it is so important. So we said some of this last time, we're going to review it. Reviewing is always good. So we begin Ashrei, it's important to recognize. The Gemara calls Ashrei Tehila David. And if you look at page one, page 67, right? So if you're in your art scroll, right? Three lines in, it says Psalm 145, right? In other words, the actual 145 only begins with a Psalm of praise by David. Prior to that are two different introductory verses. One of which is from Psalm 84.5, and one of which is right before 145, 144.15, right? So we have these two introductory phrases before we begin what we call Tehila le David, a, a praise of David. What are these two introductory phrases trying to express? So what does Ashrei mean? So Ashrei, we've said last time, right? We've discussed the idea. Ashrei means very fortunate or very wealthy. It implies a sense of completeness, of fullness, Right? Whatever it is that we're expressing, it is full. Now, Yoshve Vesecha, so we mentioned this last time also, Yoshve Vesecha means those who are actively dwelling in your house. Now, when we talk about the ones, technically, the word could be translated as Yoshve means those who sit, right? But this is not, clearly does not mean literally those who sit in the house of God in a very physical sense. You're not even allowed to sit in the house of God other than the, the king, you know, that once a year that he's allowed to sit in the house of God. But nobody's allowed to sit in the house of God. So we are not referring to the fact that we sit in the house of God. Rather, it is a metaphorical statement. Those who dwell in the house of God. Not only is it metaphorical, but it also implies not just dwelling, but actively dwelling. What do I mean by that? It should have said, Yoshev Pesecha. Those who, sit, those who dwell in the house of the Lord. But it doesn't say that. It says, Yoshvei Pesecha. They are actively engaged in dwelling in the house of the Lord. What are we trying to teach over here? We're trying to teach like this. You are fortunate or wealthy if you dwell in the house of Hashem, meaning to say that at all times they see themselves and at all places they see themselves as residing in the house of God. That means under all circumstances. On Pesach, I read from the Haggadah of Reb Moshe Feinstein, right? Reb Moshe Feinstein, we mentioned in the past, was a great, great Torah scholar, originally from Luban, Russia. He was a rabbi in Luban, Russia for many years. In this Haggadah, it has his Shabbos Haggadah Jerusha from 1932, when he was the rabbi in Luban, Russia, which at that point was under a oppressive communist regime. And in his Shabbos Haggadah Jerusha, what he discusses is the fact 
that the redemption, right, the sermon that he gave on the Shabbos right before Passover, right, what he discusses is that the redemption from Egypt was a physical redemption. Because in terms of spirituality, no one can ever imprison your soul. You are always free. Your essence is always free. Your soul is always free, right? So when we talk about dwelling in the house of God, no matter what happens, what we're saying is no matter what the circumstances, your soul can always reside exactly where you choose for it to reside, right? It's, it's kind of like, you know, the Viktor Frankl search for meaning philosophy, right? Or whatever you want to call it. The, that idea, right, is really expressed far earlier, right? The importance of always recognizing that the question in life is not what will happen. The question in life is how do I react to that? What is my spiritual state? What is my well-being? How do I react when bad things are happening? Okay. So when we talk about those who are happy, what do you mean they're happy? Bad things are happening, but they recognize it doesn't make a difference. They recognize what my goal in life is and what my purpose in life is, how I react to these circumstances. And then they can always constantly dwell in the house of Hashem. Now, we continue with, um, so we say, praiseworthy are those who dwell in your house. May they always praise you, Selah, right? So they will always be able to praise you. Then we continue with, praiseworthy is the people for whom this is so. Praiseworthy is the people whose God is Hashem. So we begin with one point, and this point is a universal point. Anybody can dwell in the house of God, right? This is not limited to Jewish people, right? This is a universal idea. Anybody who chooses to live a life in which they recognize a creator of the world, who's not just the creator, but also the one who is constantly engaged with the world, they dwell in the house of God, right? You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, they'll have a, a sports figure, and they'll say, you know, after the game, you know, had they managed to, you know, hit that shot and be like, I knew that God was on my side and I felt him next to me when I was shooting that shot, you know, the half court heave that ends up going in, right? I just knew, I knew, I knew God was going to will it to happen. Now, whether or not that's true, that God cares about the end of the sports game, it's a good question. Some people would say yes. Some people would say God does not care about these events. And that is up to the regular rules of nature. But what is important to recognize is it is nice to hear them think that way at least right right and, and we're talking about people who we don't necessarily learn that much from their behavior but the idea that they can walk around and say that god was with me right that's an incredible idea right that's something which is a universal thing that anybody can achieve a level of recognition that god is with me through the good times god is with me through the bad times now we then continue with though and we go up to a little bit of a higher level praiseworthy is the people for whom this is so in other words, the unique nation that Hashem has chosen, that everybody in this nation has a higher role to play, right? Praiseworthy is the people whose God is Hashem, right? In other words, if you look at the Hebrew, it says, Ashrei ha'am, praiseworthy or rich are the people, Shehashem, that God, Elekav, is their God, okay? Now, what do we mean that Hashem is our God? Not that Hashem is our God as opposed to others, but that we were worthy to a higher revelation of God's presence in this world. And therefore, we have an ability to connect to Hashem on a higher level. Now, but the overall message that we're trying to express is like this, that before we begin this tefillah that we're going to be saying, this tefillah called Tehillah David, that will help us merit a portion in the world to come, we want to express the greater idea that is going to be expressed throughout this prayer which is that 
those who dwell in the house of God at all times will be able to achieve a higher level of understanding and a deeper connection to God. Okay? So we say in this, in the Talmudic source that we're looking at in source one, what we recite is, if you recite it three times every day, then you're assured of a place in the world to come. Rev Schwab explains, three times a day, which we typically understand to refer to in the Shacharit prayers, in the morning prayers, we say it once in Suke de Zimra. Then we say it once after the Shmona Esrei, after the main Amidah, we say it again. And then we say it in the Mincha prayer as well. Rev Schwab says it's actually also can be understood more of a metaphor. What it's actually referring to is like this. It's referring to three times a day, not in terms of the actual uh, day, but in terms of three different periods of our lives, right? And he says, if you look in Tehillim, you look in Psalms at source number two right now, it says evening, morning, and noon, I complain and moan and he hears my voice. What is this referring to? This is not referring to the times that someone complains. This is referring to the different stages in one's life. God is always there for you, to hear you. We have a similar idea in the Modim, in the Shemona Esrei, okay? I'll read it to you quickly, but in the Modim, which is the Thanksgiving prayer in the Shemona Esrei, what we read over there is, we give thanks to you, God, for your miracles that are with us every day and for your wonders and favors in every season evening, morning, and afternoon. So the idea of using evening, morning, and afternoon as a metaphor for seasons of our lives, right, is a well-established idea. So what the Talmud is really teaching us is if you are able to recite the ashray with the same level of equanimity, no matter what circumstances you're going through, whether it is the evening of your life when things don't seem to be going so well, whether it's the morning when you have a bright outlook, or whether it's the afternoon when you're able to sit back and relax surrounded by your grandchildren at the Seder and, and just enjoy that moment, right? That's very easy then to say, but when bad things are happening, it's far harder to say, praiseworthy is the one who, no matter what, is able to say, right? No matter what, he's able to recognize Hashem's presence in the world, okay? So that's why we have these two different statements as like the preface to beginning the Tehillah le David, because what we want to express is that if you are able to really achieve a level of living in the house of God, then you will be able to fully express in the Tehillah le David and to fully mean what you're saying. And then you'll be able to reach a level of a place in the world to come. Okay, so then let's continue. So now we're going to start the actual, the actual uh, 145, right? Psalm 145. A psalm of praise by David. I will exalt you, my God, the King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Okay? So first of all, important to know like this. The word that we use in Hebrew, I want you guys to look at the Hebrew for a moment on page 66, says, Tehila le David. Now, typically... They translate almost all the beginnings of the of, of Psalms, they will translate it as a psalm, a song, right? Now, Tehillah means something a little bit more than just praise. This source right here, source number four. This is in the story in Genesis when Abraham goes down to Egypt with Sarai, right? His wife Sarai. And Pharaoh's courtiers saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's palace. Look at the Hebrew, and the, the ministers of Paro see this beautiful woman. 
Hosa, right? This is an incredibly effusive praise. It is a full-throated expression of your praise. So Tehillah David is meant to express something that is incredibly, uh, like, like I said, it's literally like your full body experience of praising Hashem. Then what we say is, I will exalt you, my God, the King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Okay? Now, I want to point out a couple of things over here. It says, my God, the King, right? When we are saying this phrase, if you look at the Hebrew, Elohai HaMelech. What does Elohai mean? My God, expressing personal relationship with God. But then we say HaMelech, right? It's almost like, I cannot believe my good fortune that I have a personal relationship with the master of the universe, right? It's a very important thing. We've discussed this idea in the past, right? When we talked about blessings in general, that we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, my God, Elokeinu, master of the universe, right? But the idea is, this is something that is emphasized and repeated because it is so fundamental to Judaism, right? This radical idea of seeing that I can have a personal relationship with a very far removed from us, very powerful God. So we express it again over here. Now, I, I, there's something that I meant to mention earlier. We're going to go through the, the ashray, and we're going to see that there's different time periods that are discussed in the entire ashray. What I mean by this is like this. Up until the letter pay, right, we are going to be discussing a time period in the world to come, a time period in which everybody recognizes God's presence in this world. When we get up to the letter pay, and we talk about how God opens up his hands to all creatures, then we're going to be transitioning to talking about what the world is like right now. Okay? So in the first two verses of Tehillah David, we are going to be expressing these two ideas. So the first verse is, I will exalt you in the future tense. I will exalt you, God, right? Referring to a time when God's presence is more manifested in this world. And I will bless your name forever and ever. The second phrase is, every day I will bless you and I will laud your name forever and ever. Every day is even even these days, right? Expressing that even today and every day we are able to do this. So in the very first two phrases of the Tehillah le David, we are already saying that we're talking about a time period in the far, or hopefully not far future, hopefully very close future, in which God will be openly manifested in the world. And then we're also discussing the reality as it exists today. We then say, Godol Adonai umehulol me'od. Hashem is great and exceedingly lauded, right? This is more of a passive idea about Hashem. First of all, Hashem is great. And second of all, he is lauded. We're not expressing that we are the ones who lord him. We're just saying that in general, God is lauded, And his greatness is beyond investigation. Now, when we talk about the greatness of God, the word Godal, we've said in the past that the word Godal, to become greater, is really a way of saying like this. It's a way of talking about Hashem as he does chesed in this world, right? As he does loving kindness in this world, he expands our recognition of him in this world, right? So we've mentioned in the past that when we talk about Hashem interacting with the world, there are two different ways in which he interacts. One is called chesed, right? Loving kindness. And one is called um, gevura, right? Which is more expressed in like judgment, right? Strict justice, right? 
And the more he expresses loving kindness, the more we can recognize his presence in the world. And therefore he constricted himself and does not necessarily expand his presence in this world. However, what we are describing over here is in truth, he is great. In truth, his kindness is something that we cannot even fathom. It's something beyond what we're able to express. Then we read, right? Turning the page now. Each generation will praise your deeds to the next, and of your mighty deeds they will tell. What is this referring to? So continuing the theme that this is referring to the world to come, what we are expressing is like this. Currently, we are living in generations, right? We are living in generations that we are able to recognize some element of Hashem. But in the world to come, there will be even, even greater recognition of Hashem. And not just a greater recognition of Hashem, but retroactively, things will come into stark clarity why things happen the way they happen. So if you live through a certain experience, right? And we just had this yesterday with the Yom HaShoah, right? Those who survived an experience, they can express to the next generation what they went through. They can express, yes, the terrible terrors and all of the tribulations that they went to, but they can also express what it was like the first time that they ate a solid meal, right? And that emotion that they felt. And when the miracles that happened that they were saved and the first time they stepped into the land of Israel and were a free people, they can't express that to the next generation in a way that impossible for us to really fathom because we didn't go through those experiences. So this is something that will happen. What's interesting is when we talk about the, the praise that will happen from one generation to the next, we are no longer necessarily talking about praise that will emit from the Jewish people. We are talking about praise that will come from anybody. Because remember, in the world to come, everyone will recognize that Hashem is the true God of the universe. The nations of the world, what are they going to focus on? They are going to focus on one thing. They will focus on the mighty deeds of Hashem. They will not focus on the fact that Hashem runs the entire world. They will say, and you will not believe what happened next. There was a great, you know, terrible earthquake that happened, right? And because of that terrible earthquake, the battle of Gog and Magog was ended. You know, whatever it is that we're talking about that will be happening. But they're going to focus on the manifestation of God's mighty hand in this world. But then he says, however, I will focus on something else. Hadar kivod hodecha vidivrei nifla osecha asicha. So what does this mean? Hadar kivod hodecha. This is a very interesting idea. The translation says, the splendorous glory of your power. Uh, Alana, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's the difference? What does hadar mean? What does hod mean? Does beauty. Uh, it's a, a wondrous beauty, I would say. It's Not hod also the same. That's like uh, synonymous. Yeah, it should be synonymous, but if it's synonymous, then why are no, they... No, hod is more personal, like uh, uh, the uh, your honor, your beauty, your glory. I mean, it's like very... Confusing. It's not being expressed. It's not being expressed so clearly. So, so let's. I want. I want to go into this for a little bit because I think it's a very important idea. Hadar does mean beauty. Hod also means beauty. Sometimes we'll translate it as magnificence, uh, splendor. Um, yeah, we talk like about that. that. 
pre eight hadar, right? What is the pre eight hadar? It is the etrog, right? It is the yeah. fruit of the tree that is beautiful, right? So the way the Vilna Goyen, right? The, the Goyen from Vilna who lived in the 1700s, Rabbi Elijah Kramer, the way he explains the difference between hadar and hod is like this. He says, they do both mean beauty. However, there's different types of beauty. There is an external beauty that is a reflection. And then there is an internal beauty. He uses the example of the sun and the moon. In this example, the sun gives off light internally, right? The moon is reflecting light from an, a different source. The one which is reflecting a light, that is only called the hadar. It is a reflection, it is an external beauty. It is not necessarily an internal beauty, but the hod refers to an internally generated beauty. So Rav Hirsch explains in a similar vein like this. The hadar is a reflection of something and the hod is the essence of something. When we think of Hashem, we never get more than a reflection of Hashem. We will never get to the true essence of Hashem. Moshe himself asks God, show me your face. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. Right? So when we are going to express our praise for God, we are going to say the, the reflection of the glory of his essence we will express, okay? So what we're saying is that even in the world to come, we will not achieve the, in, this incredibly high level of understanding of what God's essence is, but we will have far greater of an understanding of the reflection of God in this world, right? Of the way he manifests himself in this world. Now, there's a difference in the way the first phrase of how they will praise your deeds to the next, what the focus is on, and the focus when he says, I, right, speaking about the Jewish people, what we will express about God. When he's talking about the nations of the world, he says they will reflect and tell the next generation about the mighty deeds of God. When he talks about what the Jewish people will say, he talks about the fact that we will talk about the reflection of your wondrous essence. We're not focused on the deeds per se. We're focused on what was behind the scenes. We're focused on the over arching view of why God does what he does, as opposed to just the very, you know, zoomed in manifestation of God's presence through a miraculous event, right? It's a very different focus that the nations of the world will have than what the Jewish people will have. Then we actually say the same idea again, right? Whenever we, whenever we repeat an idea twice in close proximity, it is clearly as a point of emphasis to express this in a way that will Hammer home the point, right? So we then say right away in verse, the verse that begins with the letter Vav, right? Because as you can see, this is in alphabetical order. The verse that begins with the letter Vav, and of your awesome power they will speak, and your greatness I shall relate. And once again, what we are saying is that the nations of the world will talk about God's power in this world, but I will talk about God's greatness. We said before the word greatness, which is in Hebrew, ugedula secha, which comes from the Shoresh, gimel dalid lamid, gadol. We said before gadol is referring to God's chesed. The nations of the world will recognize God's might. They won't necessarily recognize the chesed inherent in the might, right? This is a very, very difficult thing to do in life, to recognize the chesed to recognize the kindness in the might. 
I want to share with you guys quickly uh, a short idea um, based on the on uh, the, the seventh day of Passover. Right? I said something about this on, on Wednesday night, but a little bit of a different a different twist today. Uh, what happens is when they leave the land of Egypt, they after having gone through all the times with the with the makot with the plagues, they still have not yet achieved a complete belief in God. Only after the Kriyat Yamsuf, only after the splitting of the sea, which, the, which is the event that we celebrate on the seventh night of Passover, only after that are they able to have a complete belief in God and his servant Moshe. What changes after the splitting of the sea? So an answer that I saw is like this. When they are leaving Egypt, they start traveling away from Egypt, and they're heading, they're finally getting out, their slaves running away, they are so excited, they're done with the Egyptians. After three days travel in the desert, what does the Torah tell us? Moshe says, turn back around, let's travel back to Egypt. And the Jews say, what are you, crazy? Travel back to Egypt? The Egyptians are going to get us again. And they tell Moshe, we don't want to do this. Moshe says, that's what God said to do. They travel back towards Egypt. They then get caught with their backs against the wall. And they tell Moshe, we told you not to go back to Egypt. And now the Egyptians surrounded us. Are there not enough graves in Egypt that you have to bring us to the desert for us to be killed? And what happens next? We have this miraculous event where the sea splits, the Jews go through, the Egyptians are drowned. Why did they now achieve a higher level of recognition and belief in God? When they had already seen God's might in this world, they had already seen all the plagues. Well, the answer is that that which they thought was bad for them, right, heading back towards Egypt, and they said, God, why are you doing this? This is bad. Before their very eyes, they saw how that turned into a good thing. Because they headed back to Egypt, the Egyptians followed them. Because the Egyptians followed them and cornered them against the sea, the Egyptians were drowned in the sea. As slaves, they would never have been able to get over the slave mentality if their captors were still alive anywhere in the world. They needed to have the sight of them destroyed. The only way that that happened is because of that which they thought was bad for them really ended up being good for them. In other words, an event in life in which something happens that we are positive, this is not meant to be. This was a mistake. This is awful. I do not want this to happen. This is a bad result. And then we get to see in front of our own eyes why it was really a good result and how God always had our best interests in mind. We have an elevated understanding and recognition of God in this world. Okay? That's true on the seventh day of Passover. That is also true in the world to come the non-Jews of the world will recognize the might of Hashem. But we Jews and those who are cleaving to the Jewish mindset will be able to recognize not just the might of Hashem, but how everything that Hashem does, both when he interacts with the world using gvura, using judgment, and when he interacts with the world using chesed, using loving kindness, is all two sides of the same coin. Okay? So the non-Jews will talk about the... the, the um, the wondrous deeds, right? The awesome power. But we shall relate the chesed of Hashem. Okay? Now, after that happens, a recollection of your abundant goodness they will utter, and of your righteousness they will sing exultantly. In other words, what will happen is like this. The nations of the world will be getting up there, and they'll be on live TV. They'll be live streamed all over the place. There'll be podcasts. Everybody talking about, did you see the latest thing that happened? Incredible, crazy stuff. And then there will be the Mashiach, right? He'll get up there and he will say, let me explain to you why everything happened exactly the way it happened. And we will now praise God for the inherent 
kindness, right, that was cloaked in the justice. After we do that, and after we express that as a nation, then even the non-Jews of the world will be able to recognize retroactively exactly why everything had to happen the way it did. And now they will sing of God's righteousness. In Hebrew, tzidkascha. Tzidkascha, right? Tzedek, right? Which means, let's say, kindness. Not, I'm sorry, not kindness. Justice, right? Tzedek means justice. It means you are correct. Atatzodek, right? You are correct. But it also expresses something more than that, right? It doesn't just mean you are correct. It means that which you get to see the yin and the yang together. The same idea that we're discussing. You get to see the chesed, the loving kindness, and the gvura are not just two sides of the same coin. They are literally exactly the same coin, right? We don't get to see that in this world. We will get to see that in the next world. And at that point, we will be able to make this tremendous sanctification of God's name that everyone will be able to sing of the tzidkascha of Hashem. Um, tzidka, tzidka is also justice. Yeah, justice. But so, yeah, it, it is justice, 100%. But it, it's more than just justice, because if you think about it, what do we call a really righteous man or a really righteous woman? What's the word that we use? Tzadik. Tzadik. Or right? So why do we use that word? It's just justice, right? No, it means something more than that. It's not just justice. It's a certain way of living. It's, it's a, a complete, a holistic lifestyle in which, yes, you do what is right, you do what is, is good, you do what is just, but you do them together. But there's also uh, this opposition of niflaot venoraot, niflaotecha venoraotecha. It's like niflaot are the wondrous things and the noraot are the horrible things, but horrible in, in the sense that you fear, you fear them. Correct. Correct, the same idea again, right? That, that when, before this becomes apparent to everyone, we will have the Mashiach speaking to the Jewish people and Mashiach will express to us what it is really the grace of God. And we will appreciate that. We will talk about the wondrous events and the awesome events, but not the awful in terms of the ones that are awe-inspiring because they're just so grand, right? Whereas for the simple level, it will, everybody will recognize the grandness of the act but to recognize what's happening behind the scenes, that will take some time, but then that will also be achieved. We're up to now the letter Ches. Gracious and merciful is God, slow to anger and great in bestowing kindness. If you look at the Hebrew, we read Erech right? Erech is what we always discuss during the 13 attributes of God. That is one of the attributes of God, that God is Erech he is long-suffering. Not long-suffering is not really the right way to say it. Patient. But that patient. He is incredibly patient. That he gives us opportunity, 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 opportunity to do what is right and to fix up whatever we have done that is wrong. Hashem is good to all. His mercies are on all his works. Right? So once again, we are not just saying a truth. That is a truth that is true today as well. However, it is a truth that we cannot really appreciate today, given the realities. We are expressing the, not just the essence of God, but the way in which we will perceive God, that he is good to all, which will only happen in the world to come. All your works shall thank you, Hashem, and your devout ones will bless you, right? So there's different levels over here. To thank someone is one thing. To bless someone is another level. So the people who, anybody can recognize somebody saved their life. 
and therefore you thank them. But not just to recognize that, but to have a deeper level of appreciation for everything that they do, that will require devout ones to bless. Of the glory of your kingdom, they will speak, and of your power, they will tell. I want you to look at the Hebrew here for a moment. The Hebrew is very interesting. Kivod, right? The letter that begins with the chaf. Kivod, malchuscha, yomeru, ugvurascha, yidaberu. These are words that we have in the Torah very often. We say, Vayadaber Hashem el Moshe Lemor, right? We say, Vayomer, right? These are familiar phrases. And seemingly, they both mean the same thing, to say over. However, the sages teach us, Daber is in a very stronger, expressive way of speaking. Yomer is a more gentler way of speaking. So we're saying this is like this. When we talk about the honor of Hashem's kingdom, we say it more gently. When we talk about your power, right? Ugvura Sacha, which we have said before, means anger or not anger, but judgment, fit and judgment, right? So that it will be even in a stronger term of daber, of speaking strongly. So um, also you have Asereta Dibrot, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. So you've got the, the Dibra is a very strong word. Yes, yes, it is a far stronger, more command utterance as opposed to a um, more of a gentler way of speaking. So when we talk about the glory of Hashem's kingdom, we will express that in more gentle terms. But when we talk about the, the, uh, the strength and the awe and the might, then we will express that more strongly. To inform human beings of his mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. So at this point, we're saying, the ideal of Neha Adam, to anybody who chooses to be part of the people who recognize Hashem in this world, we will express the glory of Hashem. And we will say, we will say the Kavod Hadar Malchuso. If you remember, we said earlier, what is Hadar? Hadar means the reflection of God's presence in this world. So we will be able to express that to anybody who chooses to be part of the Bneha Adam. Bneha Adam means the descendants of man, right? The sentence of man, this is not limited to Jewish people. This is anybody who chooses to put themselves in the category of those who strive for a connection with God. Your kingdom is a kingdom spanning all eternities, and your dominion is throughout every generation. Once again, these are things that we can only really truthfully say on a grand, not just national, not just international, universal praise in the world to come. Now, after the letter Mem, what comes next? Alana, you're not allowed to answer this question. What's the okay. next letter <laughs> after, after Mem? Very good. So Nun. Now, the problem is like this. If you look over here, there is no We're Nun. We're missing it. We're missing the Nun. The Nun is missing. What happened to the Nun? The Gemara asks this question. Let's look now at source number five. Rabbi Yochanan said, why is there no verse beginning with the letter Nun in Ashrei? because it contains an allusion to the downfall of the enemies of Israel. A euphemism for Israel itself, typically when the Gemara says the enemies of Israel, it really is a way of saying Israel when bad things will happen to them. As it is written in Amos, the virgin of Israel has fallen and she will rise no more. Abandoned in her, letter, none, in her land, none will raise her up. It begins with the letter Nun. Due to this verse, Ashrei does not include a verse beginning with the letter Nun. In order to ease the harsh meaning of this verse in the West, in Eretz Yisrael, they interpreted it with a slight adjustment. She has fallen, but she shall fall no more. Rise, virgin of Israel. 
Rav Nachman Yitzchak adds, even so, David went and provided support through divine inspiration. When David was writing these, these, uh, these verses, he did not write a nun, right? But he knew there would be a verse written by Amos, and that's why he didn't write the nun, because he didn't want it to be expressive of the nofel, right? Nofel, to fall, is nun. The very next verse begins with the letter samach, reads, the Lord upholds the fallen. So we're actually, we don't want to even speak it out. We don't want to say that there's a possibility that we'll fall, right? But obviously inherent in saying that God will lift up those who fell is that we could fall. But in this incredibly inspiring time talking about the future, we don't want to focus on the falling and we don't want it in there at all. So we don't even mention it. We only talk about the fact that God will then raise us up. The letter Samach, Hashem supports all the fallen ones and straightens all the bent. This is going to happen in the world to come. Right now it's not true, but in the world to come it will happen. The eyes of all look to you with hope and you give them their food in its proper time. So this is still talking about in the world to come. Okay, And what we're saying is that in the world to come, the food will come in its proper time. We do not express any sort of desire of people for the food. We just say the food will come when it needs to come. We're going to transition next week into the second part of Ashrei and the most important phrase in Ashrei, which is the one right here, the one with pay, which we'll talk about next week. That's going to transition into the world as we see it today. Okay? But, it, <clears throat> excuse me. And so far we've been discussing this, as I said, a part of the world in which God will be far more manifested, a future world to come. And then next week, we will continue with the world as we see it today. We begin with talking about the, the incredible glory that will happen then. And then we're going to go back and take a step back into the world as we see it today. Okay, hey, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Yeah. Shabbat shalom. Take care. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. Be well. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.